Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Amen. Great to uh, great to be with you guys this morning. Welcome to Risen King. I am not Pastor Mike. Uh, my name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Mike called me about an hour ago and said, you know, it's cold outside. I'm staying home. <laughs> You're up. Hope you got something good. Just kidding. That's a joke. You guys can laugh. Come on, loosen up. We're in church. We got to have a little fun. Uh, no, Mike gave me plenty of heads up. And if you know Mike, you know that's a lie because in the middle of a blizzard, he's calling us saying, get your shovel, we're digging out, we're having church. He doesn't cancel church for anything. So he's, uh, he's away and I get the privilege of being here this morning to, to bring the message. Um, if you don't mind, would you just bow your heads with me and we're going to pray and ask uh, the Lord to meet us here in the word. Father, I, I pause now just to, to breathe you in kind of as Mason had us do during worship. Thank you, God, for meeting us in such a powerful way during worship. We love your presence. Lord, we make space for you now in our hearts and ask that you would come and fill it. Lord, let your word go forth and change us from the inside out. We don't want to leave the same. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, (laughs) All of us will face difficulty, will face crisis of some kind in our life. That's a fact. How many people have faced some level of crisis over the last 12 months? Would you put your hand up? Oh, a bunch of people are lying this morning in church on a Sunday. Everybody better have their hand up. The truth is the pandemic has given us all some kind of level of crisis and uncertainty. Um, some much more severe than others. But we have all faced it, and we all will face it. It's part of the human experience. Anyone that tells you that because we're followers of Jesus, because we're Christians, that we can avoid difficulty, that we can avoid pain and loss and suffering, that we can avoid a crisis is wrong. It's flat out wrong. We are not promised that we will avoid it. But I, I do believe that how we respond to crisis is really important. Would you agree? How we respond to crisis is so, so important. Um, A friend of mine uh, and a mentor and a professor of mine, Dr. Rob Reamer, a lot of you guys know him, um, authored a few great books, uh, uh, Soul Care, Calm in the Storm, Spiritual Authority, great guy. He says it this way about facing crises of different kinds. He says, in this life, you don't get to choose if you suffer, but you do get to choose how you suffer, how you go through the suffering. And that choice is up to each and every one of us. How will we go through the suffering? How will we go through the crisis? How will we respond? I think that the call to us as followers of Jesus is to ask the Lord when we're faced with difficult things, How, Lord, are you calling me to respond to this? It's all about asking the right question. Many times we get hung up on a couple of other questions. Why is this happening, God? Where are you, God? Why is it me and not somebody else? 
Why me again? Right? Am I the only one? You guys are quiet. I like when people talk back a little bit. So you got you to gotta let me know you're with me here this morning. Listen, I think that some of those questions are good. Um, they're important ones to ask because it's kind of a natural reaction when the difficulty first hits us. But if we stay there, that's where we get into trouble. And so we have to ask the right question. How, Lord, are you calling me to respond? I think this is the difference between letting our crisis defeat us or develop us. This is the difference. This will determine the outcome. Would you stop for a moment and just think about the last crisis that you went through? And maybe you're still facing it today. How did you respond? Did you complain a lot about it? Did you wallow in misery? Did you talk to everybody else about it except for God? How did you face the crisis that that last came up in your life? And how are you facing what you're going through today? I think we have to ask. We have to lean in and ask the Lord, how, God, are you calling me to respond? And here's the good news. We're going to look at Scripture today because God answers that question. Now, the formula is not always the same. He calls some in Scripture to pick up a sword and fight, and he calls others to rest and wait And you guys have experienced that in your own life. It's not always the same answer, but this truth is the guiding principle. When we lean in in a time of crisis and ask the Lord how he's calling us to respond, we can hear his voice say to us, trust me. Trust me, I'm with you. Trust me, I got this. And our ability to lean in and tune our ear to heaven and and ask him, how are you calling me to respond? That's the difference between letting the crisis destroy us or develop us. To to rest in a place of defeat or, or let it be an instrument that God uses for our deliverance. This is the difference. Will you lean in and ask the Lord how he's calling you to trust him? And, and I want to say this, um, I'm not trying to be cavalier or dismissive of anyone's pain and suffering. Many of us has, have faced situations and are facing situations that seem bigger than life. I mean, it's some deep pain. Listen, a, a cancer diagnosis is one of the scariest things to face for ourselves or for a loved one. A relationship that was once full of life and hope and now there's been betrayal, that's, that's a pain that stings. It stays with us. Financial hardship that many have faced due to the pandemic or maybe even other reasons, that's a stress that we carry around, and it feels like a crushing weight. So that's real pain. So hear me this morning. I'm not saying, oh, whatever you're going through, just trust God, you're fine. I'm not being dismissive at all. But would you lean in? And move from that place of fear, move from that place of why, why is this happening, kind of that sudden shock, and move into a place of faith. Move into a place of trust. If you'll tune your ear towards heaven and ask the Lord how he's calling you to respond, that'll be the difference. Amen? Would you uh, turn to somebody and just say, you've been asking the wrong question. It's not how, it's not why, it's how. <laughs> I said it wrong. Turn to the other person and say, he's talking to you, not me. So we're going to look at, um, 
We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7 this morning. We're going to look at the story of a king named Ahaz. Now, before we read the story, did I go too far? No. Before we look at the story, you know, in Chronicles, um, where you can find sort of the summary of the rule and reign and life of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, there's usually a sentence or two that describes that king. And Ahaz, the king that we're about to look at, here's the descriptor. Ahaz reigned for 16 years, and unlike his father David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. How would you like that to be the sentence that defined your life and defined your rule and your reign? So, so Ahaz, we already know right off the bat, spoiler alert, he makes some bad decisions. So in many ways, the story we're looking at when crisis comes to Ahaz is a model for what not to do. But I believe his experience and his relationship with the Lord and how he responds mirrors our own experience. And so we can pull some really practical things that we can apply to our life today. Amen. All right. So stay with me here. Um, Chapter seven, verse one. It says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. That's the summary of what we're about to read. And if you're already confused by all the names and he was the son of who and where is this guy from, that's okay. We're going to summarize the uh, few verses that we're going to read here at the end. So verse two, now the house of David was told. Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Let me, let me just pause and summarize a bit so far. So Ahaz is king. He gets terrible news. Crisis is coming. Two kings are coming to kill him and wipe him out. And then the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Isaiah. And I love this. So I just want to point it out before we keep reading. God knows exactly where Ahaz will be. Come on, let that sink in for a minute. He knows exactly where Ahaz will be. He knows exactly what he's going through. He tells Isaiah to go to the exact spot at the exact time to meet him and deliver this message. And so here's the message. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. I love this verse. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. And now catch this part. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Let's read that one more time. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. I I get it that this story, these, these nine verses, it's a little confusing. A lot of 
odd names. <laughs> a lot of he was the son of this guy and king of this place. But let's summarize the story. Crisis hits Ahaz and his people. Terrible news comes. And in verse 2, it says that the people and their king, Ahaz, they were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken. Listen, uh, let me stop here and take a little side note. Um, I want to ask this question. I think it's an important point to make. Was it a sin for Ahaz and his people to be shaken by the bad news initially? I do not believe it was at all. If there's one thing that I'm a little extra sensitive about in church culture, in Christian culture, it's when Christians don't let other people feel the pain of the season that they're in. I can't stand that. I'll just be really honest. I can't stand it. Listen, bad news is bad news. Like when you get that phone call about that medical diagnosis, that stings. It's scary. It's okay to be shaken. God's not mad at you. He gave us these emotions so we could feel what we're going through. That's a really important point. Sometimes I just want to smack. Uh-oh, I sound like, sound like I got Pastor Mike's anointing there. He's, he's, he sometimes talks about people that he'd like to smack. Just for a disclaimer so we don't get sued, I'm not going to hit anyone. I was not a threat, okay? Um, but my antenna goes up for that. I, I just kind of get extra sensitive about that. I, I don't like that at all. We are meant to feel the pain of what we're going through. Here's the key. We can't stay there. He doesn't call us to live in that place. He calls us to lean in, ask the right question. How, God, are you calling me to respond here? How do you want me to respond? Don't get stuck on the why and the what ifs and the where and all that stuff. Lean into that uncertainty and ask him how he's calling you to respond. And here's what he's going to say time and time again. Trust me. This is the first message that he gives Ahaz. And he says the same thing like four times, which is great. Be careful to keep calm. Stop panicking. Another way to say that is don't freak out. (laughs) Don't worry. Just trust me. I got this. You know, this is a commandment that is given more times in scripture than I think anything else. It's close to 400 times where God tells his people, fear not, don't be afraid. And this is the word of the Lord to Ahaz in this season. I want to encourage you with this. Think back to a crisis that you're going through now, a difficult situation that you're going through today. Could you hear the voice of the Lord say, keep calm, don't panic, don't worry, Trust me, I got this. Would you let that bring you hope this morning? Come on, that's good stuff. That's real good stuff. You know, having, having heard that, the, the response in Scripture that God is asking us to have to trust Him in the face of anything, just let that sink in. What are we worried about? Sometimes, even just verbalizing it, you're like, okay, yeah, that does sound crazy. Why am I worried about that? And it helps to talk it out and to think about it. Why would I be worried when the God of the universe said that I can calm down? (laughs) He says, I don't have to worry. So why am I choosing to worry? Let that get inside you. Let, Let that push you towards 
trust. You know, to illustrate this point just a little bit, um, I was doing some research on this topic and I came across an article published in the Harvard Business Review, not always a source that I go to when prepping for a sermon, but um, I couldn't help but I clicked on it and I started reading through it. And by the way, if you do a Google search on fear, panic, anxiety, it's funny. You'll get hundreds of thousands of hits. And the funny thing is most of those articles were written in 2020 because the pandemic has caused so much worry and anxiety and fear. So I'm reading through this and and this study published um, in the middle of last year, it says this about anxiety, that people that are anxious are 31% more likely to make a bad decision. That panic, like a panicked state of mind, a worried state of mind, someone that's you know really gripped by that anxiety, 31% more likely to make a bad decision. Is it any wonder that God said so many times in Scripture, calm down, <laughs> don't worry, I got this? You know, the article goes on to say that... Um, The number one cause of anxiety, this is crazy, is the consumption of negative news. If that's not a word for America, I don't know what is, with 24-7 news cycles, and it's all negative stuff. I mean, the positive stories don't get any airtime, right? And we could pick up our phone, turn on the TV, a laptop, doesn't matter. I'll probably get news notifications while I'm preaching right here from laptop about some bad thing going on. And so the consumption of negative news feeds our anxiety, and then we're more likely to make bad decisions when we're anxious. I want to challenge you this morning just to ask yourself this question, what voices am I letting speak into my life? How much time am I spending consuming negative news? You know, this is a conscious choice to trust God. You can't wake up, let your feet hit the floor when you get out of bed and say, okay, I trust you, God, and then go watch a news channel for four hours. You know, it's going to be hard to trust in that setting. So think about the choices you're making. Think about the voices that you're letting speak into your mind and into your heart. The call this morning is to trust God, to take him at his word, to calm down, to to not panic, not give in to fear. Amen? Let's look at um, two very common responses when fear does set in. So crisis hits, we kind of get shaken, we're freaking out a little bit, but now God's calling us to move into a place where we ask him how he's asking us to respond, and we decide to trust. But if we don't do that, we'll get caught in this trap called fear. And fear causes two very common responses, fight or flight. Another way to say those or illustrate those is panic or paralysis. These are common, common reactions to fear. And so let's talk about a couple of these. Let's start with the fight, the panic. You know, we we just read and heard that panic usually causes us to make some bad decisions. And to illustrate this point about how panic can lead to bad decision making, I can't think of anything better than the toilet paper shortage of 2020. (laughs) Think about bad decisions. Come on, think about it for a second. Not sanitizer, not masks, but in March of 2020, everybody gobbled up the toilet paper. 
I'm like, was there an article I missed about this thing? Were there side effects that I was not aware of that I'm supposed to be caught? Like, what is going on? All right, I'm, I'm being a little funny, but it's serious, right? I mean, and I will admit, ashamedly, that my, my basement is one of those with way too much toilet paper <laughs> saved up. We contributed to the toilet paper shortage of 2020. To get a little more serious than that, I was thinking about a time in my own life where I let panic um, push me into a decision that was just a bad decision. So back in 2006, I'm a student at Nyack College. I was dating at the time my wife, uh, who's sitting back there, Ashley. So 2006, the relationship starting to get serious. And for a guy in his early 20s, that makes you panic. <laughs> um, only the guys laughed at that. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the relationship's getting a little serious. On top of that, we start thinking about life after college, and I'm looking at student loans mounting. And if we get married, her student loans as well as my student loans mounting, and I'm looking at how expensive NIAC is. And so I get the bright idea that I'm going to unenroll from NIAC, move back to the area where I grew up, Cincinnati area, and I can go to school much cheaper. On top of being able to go to school much cheaper, um, there's a job opportunity there and even a side business with a family member where I'm going to have an opportunity to make more money while I'm still in school and go to school cheaper. It's a win-win. W- one thing, one big blind spot was now Ashley's in New York and I'm in Cincinnati. That didn't go over so well, right? And so, um, so I got this great idea. I'm, again, I'm panicked because of money and timeline and different things, so I decide I'll take matters into my own hand. And I had people in my life that said, you know, this doesn't seem like such a great idea. Like, if you're so serious about her, why would you move away from New York? So I, I get to Cincinnati, and I'll never forget, I enrolled in the school down there. It's the first day of classes on this new campus. I go to my first class, and I'm walking to the bookstore, on campus, I can, I can feel the whole scenario even right now, and I get a pit in my stomach like, wow, this was such a bad choice. I just knew, what a, what a stupid idea. I made a huge mistake. You know, the next day, I unenrolled from that school. That's how obvious it was to me that I made a terrible decision. So now I'm starting to feel like an idiot. Um, and rightfully so, but I'm like, you know, I still got this job thing in the side business and it was in the construction industry and we had connections with fr- really good friends and even family members that were building houses. Like you wouldn't believe left and right. They were building hundreds of houses a year. I mean, it was crazy. The housing industry just, just blowing up down there. So me and my cousin, we got great jobs. We're making money. We're making money for ourselves on the side, all construction. And this is 2006. So some of you know where I'm going with this. Three months after I get there, the housing bubble bursts. (laughs) I'm like, only me. I moved from New York to Cincinnati and I caused the housing bubble to burst (laughs) because I was running from God. Um, but I, I mean, it just burst. The, the job opportunities dried up, the money dried up, and now I'm stuck. And, and I had to, dra- I had to you know, drag myself back to New York, and I did, and I asked Ashley to marry me. That's how I got out of that. I'm, uh, I'm really glad she didn't dump my sorry butt. She probably should have. 
we had a, she had a friend and a mentor, Wanda Walborn, who I'm pretty sure told her to break up with me if I moved. So she's like, if he really goes to Cincinnati, just break up with them. You're done. Um, but I'm glad she didn't. So that's the, the, the happy ending to that story. But just let that illustrate. I'm sure all of us can think of times where we've let panic push us into a decision where we're like, what was I thinking? And, and this is why the word of the Lord to Ahaz is so important. Be careful to keep calm. Don't panic. Trust me. I got this. Can you hear that word this morning? You know, the other response to fear is flight or paralysis. So we can let fear um, just absolutely mess with us in such a way that we feel, sometimes we feel frozen with fear, like we can't move, we can't act. Other times, we turn and run the other way from fear and from the situation. How many people know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, I don't want to deal with this, I'm going to go hide, maybe somebody else can deal with it, maybe it'll resolve itself on its own. And to illustrate this point, I want to talk about, and stay with me here, but I, want to, I just want to uh, recall maybe a, a blockbuster movie you've seen before called The Titanic. Come on, how many people know it? Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, great, great flick, right? Well, spoiler alert, it's based on a true story. Really was, really was a ship that, that was a bad show. Anyways, so... Stay with me here. The event, and I'm gonna, I'll get serious now. So the events around the Titanic sinking um, are, are uh, kind of speculated about. And there's some, some versions of the story that are kind of set in stone and we know for fact, but there's a, there's a couple other stories out there where really smart people have investigated this and researched it for a long time. So I want to tell you about one of them. Um, there were three ships, other ships, on the sea that night, the night in 1912, when the Titanic sank and 1,500 people perished. Three other ships. One of them, we know for a fact, was about 50 miles away. And when they received word that the Titanic was in trouble, they went straight there um, in, in a rescue effort. And they were able to rescue the people that were in the lifeboats, but they were too late to rescue anybody else. The other ship that was on the water, called the Californian, um, that ship had earlier in the night sent warning messages to the Titanic saying, hey, there's icebergs, you know, be, you're warned. And the Titanic didn't really listen to those warnings. So when this ship saw their distress signals, the captain said, I'm sure it's fine. Let's go to sleep. And when we wake up in the morning, we'll see where they're at and if they need help. Well, when morning came, the Titanic had already been sunk and 1,500 people perished. But there's a third ship on the waters that night, and this ship was only five miles away from the Titanic. This ship um, was a 130-foot schooner. It was a seal hunting ship. It had eight smaller boats attached that were hunting boats. And when this captain saw the warning signals from the Titanic that they were in distress... And he was only five miles away. He freaked out. Fear gripped his heart because they were hunting seals illegally in that territory. And he was afraid that if they went and got involved in a rescue mission, their sin would be found out and they would get in trouble. And so he actually turned his ship the other way 
And again, 1,500 people perished that night. Listen, that's such an example of how fear, if we let fear grip our hearts and we don't kick it to the curb and choose to trust God, no matter how difficult the situation is, it not only affects us and our destiny, it affects the lives of those around us. Come on, we don't just live for ourselves. We live for those that God has placed in our lives, our families, our friends, our community. And this stuff has big consequences. We just stop and think for a moment, how am I responding to fear in my life? Am I, where are the areas where I'm letting it cause panic and worry? Where are the areas where I've become passive and I'm not standing firm in my faith and trusting God? This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. How are we responding to crisis? Will we lean in and trust the Lord? The second part of God's message to Ahaz, this comes in verse 7 when he says, hey, this bad news, it's not going to happen. Trust me, I got this. And he ends that on verse 9 by saying this phrase, stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. We have a responsibility. We have a role to play in this thing. Many times it sounds like good Christians speak when we say, I'll just trust God to take care of it. But he calls us to stand firm in our faith, not to become passive. And the only way we can stand firm in our faith and and trust him is if we make the conscious decision day after day, week after week, even hour after hour to trust God, to lean in and say, God, how are you calling me to respond? I said this earlier, but again, we can't just wake up in the morning and go, okay, I trust you, God. And then we go about our day and we never tune back in to what he's saying. We have to find time and make time to get alone with God and hear his voice. This is so important. Now, a lot of us connect with God in many different ways. This message isn't about this, so I can't go into all the different spiritual disciplines and the ways that we can connect with the presence of the Lord and ways we can hear from God. Many of you already know your preferred way because we're all wired different. For some of us, it means that we need to wake up a little earlier than we are and get into the word of God and let that transform us. For some of us, it's getting alone in a room or in the car by ourselves, blasting some worship music and just spending time worshiping God, singing our lungs out. For some of us, it's take a walk around Rockland Lake with nobody around. Put the to-do list to the side. Take 45 minutes. If it's me, it'll take over an hour. And walk around Rockland Lake and get alone with God. You won't find me there. <laughs> you won't see me at Rockland Lake. That's not my gifting. Um, I'll, get a, I'll, get alone and, I'll get alone and sing, but I'm, I won't be at Rockland Lake. But we all have different ways that we connect with God. This is the work of trusting God. It can't be a fleeting thought that we have and then we let all the other voices creep in. Amen? The other thing um, I want to cover is sometimes the crisis doesn't end quickly. Sometimes the crisis lasts for a long time and those are some of the hardest things to go through. You know, in some ways, not that I would want to be in Ahaz's position where there's two armies coming to, you know, tear me in two. Um, But there was sort of a timeline in place with that kind of crisis. Like 
He needed God to act now or he was going to die. And sometimes those are actually a little bit easier to do the hard work of trusting God because we know that it's over at a specific point in time. But what about those medical situations that are ongoing? What about those relationships? What about those seasons of our life where the crisis is not over quickly? That's hard to trust God. I want to tell you a story, and I won't give you the long version. I've shared the long version before, but when, our, uh, when we were expecting our fourth child, Noah, um, who is six years old, uh, he'll be six years old in a few months, when, when um, we were still expecting him, uh, we got a, uh, a bad news report that you know, he was, there was an abnormality in the pregnancy. And so this was about month four or about four into the pregnancy. So we had five months to go. I keep saying we. I didn't do anything. She was pregnant, not me. But Ashley had about five more months of the uh, pregnancy. And, um, and the doctors scared the heck out of us. You know, they said it could be a long list of different complications. And the most serious one being he could be born without a heartbeat. And it scared us to death. And here's the thing. It wasn't like we could go for a test next week and get it determined we had to keep going because they had to keep checking all the way up into the delivery date so month after month and then as it got closer week after week we'd go get these sonograms to see if he was developing okay to see if some of these complications were happening and uh, i would love to stand here and tell you that we did it perfect that faith you know came and we we stood firm in our faith for those whole five months but i'd be lying to you There were moments where fear gripped us. There were moments when it was hard to trust God. There were moments when I was full of faith and Ashley would um, maybe not be. And so I had to encourage her. And then the opposite, you know, then I'm down one day and she would have to encourage me. There was arguments over this, all kinds of stuff. It was a hard road for five months. But the choice was ours. Were we going to wallow in fear and panic and worry? Are we going to lean in and trust God? And it came in waves. Uh, the, the happy ending to that story is that a creative miracle happened. And Noah was born completely healthy, even so much so that the problem that they thought he had and he was diagnosed to have, when he was born, they confirmed medical confirmation that that problem did not exist in him, that it had been reversed. Yeah. So completely healthy, I mean, he's absolutely insane today. Um, the youngest of four. If you, if you saw him, if you see him this morning, he'll have a big bruise on his face right here because he went sledding in like a half an inch of snow into the street. And I don't even know what happened after that. But um, Yeah. And, and I want to share this, though. You know, I know we had that, that great ending and that great miracle, but I know that not every crisis ends that way. I remember, you know, the times where we had to really grapple with, you know, what is going on here? What is the outcome going to be? And so um, if you've experienced pain and loss on the other side of the crisis, I don't want to be cavalier and dismissive about that. That's a real pain, a real loss. But here's the thing. We can trust God. We can take him at his word because nothing is beyond redeemable for God. Amen. And so that's his call to us, stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. I want to finish um, the story of Ahaz 
um, I kind of already foreshadowed a little bit that he's, he does not make some great decisions here. So we're going to pick the story back up in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Let me just pause here. I want to recap. Remember, the crisis is hit. He's shaken. God speaks to him and says, hey, that thing that you're so scared about, you don't have to be scared about it. I got this. Trust me. I mean, he... It was crazy confirmation. I would love if I was going through a crisis and somebody that didn't know what I was going through came up to me and said, you know, just read my mail. Like God sees you. He knows the situation. He says, you don't have to worry. Trust him. The thing that was supposed to happen isn't going to happen. But it's, you know, it's clear that God could see into the heart and the mind of Ahaz because now he says, like, he's basically saying, the text doesn't state this, but I'm sensing that you're not trusting me here. So because you're not trusting me, ask me for a sign. I'll give you a sign. Anything. This is the, the, the word of the Lord. Ask me for a sign, anything, and I'll give it to you. And Ahaz, I want to call him a name, but I'll resist. Ahaz says, I will not ask. I won't put the Lord to the test. He's getting religious with God. No, 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 I, it's false humility. But the ego, the nerve to answer God with, no, I couldn't do that, I, I won't do that. But God saw right through his heart. He knew that he had not placed his trust in the Lord. And so he says, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, and he's yelling at him now, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, even though you didn't ask. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. And it finishes with this. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since, since Ephraim broke away from Judah. That's a bad time. He will bring the king of Assyria. So God sees through Ahaz's you know, ego and false humility. And he says, look, because you're not going to trust me here, and, and even though you didn't ask, I'm going to give you a sign. Now, here's the great news. God is faithful even when we are faithless. I mean, he looks at the faithlessness of Ahaz and he says, I'm still going to redeem you. I'm still going to rescue you because I'm sending you my son. Can you let that sink in this morning? We asked, how God are you calling me to respond? And we hear God say back to us, trust me, stand firm. And he says it this way now, trust me because I'm giving you my son, Jesus. We can take God at his word because of Jesus. This is my last point before we close. And I think it's important. Ahaz chose political alliance over trust in God's promise. Let me say that one more time. Ahaz chose political alliance over trust in God's promises. Now, we didn't have time to read the entire account 
But we know, if we keep reading this story, that Ahaz went right to a king, another king, another kingdom, made an alliance with them, and said, would you give us protection against these two kingdoms? So he he says no to God and yes to another king. And here's the thing, it works for a season. That king comes and that army comes, it fortifies um, Judah, and they're able to ward off the attack of the other two kingdoms. But that political alliance turns sour. And it's that relationship that then triggers, watch this, this is crazy, 600 years of captivity for the people of God. 600 years because he chose political alliance over trust in God. Listen, if that's not a word for the church in America, I don't know what is. I didn't say if that's not a word for one side of the aisle and not the other. I don't care the political affiliation but it's a word for the church. Some of us have placed trust and political allegiances over trust in God. And it's time to turn that trust back to the Lord. Amen. There's a promise to us in verse 14 when he sends his son. There's another promise in 2 Timothy. And it says this, that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And we know this because of Jesus. We can trust God in the midst of any crisis we're facing because of Jesus. I want to tell you this as well. If you are, you know, recalling some situations in your life where you've been faithless, where you've turned to other places, where you've given into fear, can you hear me today? It's not too late. It is never too late to turn back to the Lord to decide today to put your trust in him. And you can do that because of his son, Jesus. We're going to close with this verse in Isaiah chapter 28. So much further in the book of Isaiah, there's this verse that stands out to me. See, I lay a stone in Zion, and this is the Lord talking, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. That cornerstone is Jesus. That's the imagery there. If we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, place our trust in God, and we can take him at his word because he sent Jesus even when his people were faithless, we will never be stricken with fear and panic. Amen? Let Ashley come up and close the, close the service. Lead us in a time of prayer. I'm so thankful she didn't dump my sorry butt in 2006. Thank you for confessing to this. Will you all stand with me as we close in prayer? One thing that I love, I love the story of um, that third ship, the Titanic story. Because if you heard Pastor Mike's message last week, he talked about this idea of of belonging to one another. And so I feel like there's a call in this that as we face crisis, just to realize we belong to one another and the stakes are so high. Um, There's something so beautiful about that, that when we put our trust in the Lord, when we can... When we can stand firm on his promises. I mean, this is the God of the universe who sent his son, his son to die for you. If he's willing to do that, I think he's willing to do a whole lot more for us. 
so we can put our trust in him and when we do that that brings his kingdom that brings other people into relationship with him so if you're if you're willing to would you just pray with me this morning maybe even just open up your hands and and um just get this picture of like release just to kind of release the crisis that you're facing if you just hold on to it like this you can't hold on to it so tightly but you hold it like this Father, your word says that in this world we will have trouble. It's not a question of if we will. We know that we will. The question that Gabe has put forth to us is how we will respond to this. So God, we declare that we want to be a people who will give our crisis to you, who will stand firm on the firm foundation that you have given to us. Father, I want to say that again. We will be a people who will stand firm on the firm foundation you have given to us. It doesn't mean that our responses are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're not going to feel pain. It doesn't mean that we're not going to feel sadness. But Lord, it means that we can stand firm on your promises and we can trust who you are. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. I thank you that this was a promise that was fulfilled. And so if you'll keep that promise, we know that you will keep every promise. So we release our crisis to you. And Father, even as we have moments where we pull it back close to us and want to hold on to it and and feel the panic and the anxiety, would you just speak that word that we can stand firm in our faith in you and we can just give it back to you? I thank you that we belong to one another, God. I thank you that the faith of others can give us more faith. And we give you all the glory and all the honor, and we give you all of our crisis. And we stand firm on your word and your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.